Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Choke Bryant swilling away on some champagne. Or sorry, sparkling wine. Shandon, so it's from Napa. Uh, and there's Jerry over there. Jerry's got her champagne, too. We're all just hanging out. We're going to talk to you guys while we wait for the shrimp cocktail to thaw. <laughs> Literally. Yep. And that makes us stuff you should know. That's right. Uh, we're back in the same room, everybody, for the first time in about 14 months. And Jerry brought in champagne and frozen shrimp cocktail. There's a story behind that. Go ahead and say it. You go ahead and say it. I don't remember. I mean, you, you were the shrimp. It, you first started it, like, I feel like 12 years ago. We We— we were tracking to hit number one on iTunes in like 2008. Okay. Like the beginning of 2008. Mm-hmm. No, nine maybe, whatever. And um, I, I, I was like, I, I want a shrimp cocktail right. in, the, in the recording studio when we hit number one. Mm-hmm. We hit number one, came no and went, cocktail. stayed number one, <laughs> hit number one again, no shrimp yeah. cocktail. This is the shrimp cocktail from 2009 yeah. that finally has made an appearance. And it's frozen. It might literally be from 2009. <laughs> <laughs> it, might, it might be. It's turning, the veins are turning kind of purple as it thaws. That's so not a good sign. <laughs> I can't wait to eat this shrimp cocktail. And yeah, we're having champagne. Jerry classed it up, basically. I feel, I feel it was a nice homecoming. She did, but the three of us are fully vexed. We're in a room together. Uh, the microphones don't have fake ears attached to them? Yeah, I mean, that joke won't make sense to you now, but we recorded another episode before this one, mm-hmm. but it was getting released later, so this is technically our second episode. Yeah, just put that in your button and smoke it in your hand. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I have a weird urge to curse. I don't know why. I think you just did. So, Jerry, beep, beep, beep. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. But it's it's great to be back together and a little weird, um, but not as weird as I thought it would be. That first one was weird because we were in a different room. Yeah, we got all the weirdness out in yeah. a weird situation. It would have been weird regardless. But now we're back in, in Studio 1A. That was a really good move, Jerry. Did you plan it like that? To get the jitters out, Jerry. Jerry said thumbs yeah, up. Yeah, she thumbs up. Yeah. Jerry's real, everybody. Jerry she chooses like not a, to talk. Jerry's let her hair grow out. I know. She's got a ponytail for the first time. That I've ever seen. It's gotten even more uh, peppery. No, salty in a salt and pepper way. It doesn't get more peppery unless you make a, you know, a move to yeah. make it so. And she looks like a wealthy retiree who drives a Maserati and knows their way around the club. Oh. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. That's what Jerry looks like. She looks distinguished but also foxy. <laughs> yeah. So I spent my uh, last January of 2020 losing 25 pounds, and then COVID hit, Mm -hmm. and now have gained back 25 pounds. Yeah, I'm exactly where I was. Is that right? Exactly to the pound, and it makes me really angry. Oh no, just go with it. You're chucked. Oh, I know, but I just you know I didn't get back together. I was like, man, I'm doing so good. I'm so good. Pandemic that is good. And I was like, well, now I can eat and drink all I want. Right. Because it's sad. So you <laughs> lost the weight before the pandemic hit? Yeah, I hit it hard in January uh-huh. to January, March. What? January 1st, probably. Of, of 2020? Yeah. Okay. And, like, uh, I was working with a trainer, like, you know, so I was having to go to her every, like, three days a week. Uh-huh. And just, you know, I was making the right decisions and tracking, and mm-hmm. and the weight disappears. And then COVID hit, and I just started making all the wrong decisions and, uh, and let myself do that. Yeah, I, that happened to all of us, yeah. myself included. I 
went through what you went through where I lost a bunch of weight and I managed to keep it off. And then COVID hit and I was still doing okay, mm-hmm. doing okay, maybe eating a little more than usual. You're like, I'm not going to let it happen though. <laughs> and I, was, I wasn't. And then our book hit and that's what got me. Oh, when we were writing it? And working on it 20, 22 hours a day, every day, uh-huh. I was eating so much. You gained book weight. I gained book weight. And I actually, I have not been this big since, I don't know when, man, but I still got it. So I'm, I'm doing what I can. You look the same. I d- well, then, I, I, what I started two weeks ago has kicked in, okay. I guess, if I look the same. Well, you look great. Jerry oh, looks goodness. great. Everyone looks and feels great. Yeah. Let's talk about the appendix, the Rodney Dangerfield <laughs> of organs. This is one of my favorite articles that we've done in a while. Agreed. This and is a Dave Ruse. Yeah. Day. And you know how I often complain about science? This is the kind of science I love. Yeah. Understandable? Uh, yeah. Body Revealing. science, understandable, super cool. This factors into our... Hygiene uh, hypothesis mm-hmm. episode, our human microbiome episode. Our digestive system episode. Yeah, it all sort of fits together. And that little worm-like organ, it's an organ, right? Yeah. It's an organ. Yeah. A lot of people thought it was a vestigial organ. They're wrong. Right. But it, that weird little thing uh, hanging out there. Mm-hmm. Just going, just wiggling around like a little worm. <laughs> yeah, is really kind of cool and fascinating, and I love that it has a a, a great story behind its uh, lack of usefulness, and then turns out usefulness. Yeah, and it's just agreed. This is really good stuff. It's smash bang stuff you should know. <laughs> That's right. Let's talk about it. So, um, like you said, the appendix is like this little worm like thing that dangles off the bottom of the ascending colon, mm-hmm. large intestine. Colon, large intestine, and large bowel are the one and the same. So when you hear people say bowel, they're mm-hmm. typically talking about that. Colon, large intestine. It's all the same thing, mm-hmm. which I found confusing until I looked it up and found, oh, okay, it's all that. Um, two, to, the, two to four inches long, the appendix. Right. Generally. Although the biggest one was pulled out of a 72-year-old <laughs> Croatian man named yeah. Safranko August Can during his autopsy. And his was 10 inches or 26 centimeters long. What do you think they were like in that autopsy? They're like, wow. I think that the uh, medical examiner's staff had a T-shirt made up that Safranco August was buried in that said, I've got the biggest appendix ever. Maybe. I mean, that's crazy because when you – like I encourage you to look up a picture of the appendix. It is – it looks like a little worm and it's hanging there on this little bulbous pouch called the cecum. Mm-hmm. And the cecum is kind of like where it's it's the part in between the small intestine and large intestine where the, there there's an agreement that takes place basically right. where the small intestine is like all right listen I'll take all this food yeah and I'll make it into chyme yeah but I am not going into the fecal zone no you handle the fecal stuff colon and the colon says fine here's my buddy the cecum it goes four it, it'll uh, it'll serve as a little halfway house you right. can pass everything along to me. Uh-huh. I will broker it. You won't get any poop on you, small <laughs> intestine, and I'll send it to the large intestine. But off of that cecum is dangling this this little dude. Yeah, which as far as anybody could ever tell had nothing to do with digestion, which makes right. it really weird because it's, everything it's else around here <laughs> yeah. has to do with dig- digestion. That's uh-huh. just what they do. That's their, their, their uh, trade. And the appendix is just hanging out. And people just thought, okay, this this thing doesn't make any sense. But the um, the the fact that it's attached there 
and doesn't seem to have to do with digestion made people for a very long time think that it was a vestigial organ. Right, which we'll get into the specifics of uh, one man who really championed that idea Mm -hmm. in a way that, frankly, made a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can see why it took that many years for anyone to really poke around further into it. Yeah, because you're just like, yeah, he just explained it. Sure. Uh, But there are other mammals that have cecums. uh, And in some mammals, especially herbivores, it can be really big relative to their body size because uh, in herbivores it acts as the – the pre-digestion house for plants. And since they're eating tons of plants, they have large cecums. Yeah, plant fiber is really, really good for you, but it's also really hard to digest. Yeah. A lot of cellulose. Um, And that's that large intestine coming into play again. Because in the stomach and the small intestine, there's um, a microbiota, a microbiome, which we talked about Mm -hmm. in that one episode, the Human Microbiome Project. Um, there's some in the small intestine. I think there's far, far less even in the stomach. But in the large intestine, that's where it really shines. Got to make that poop. And those microbes, the pathogens, the viruses, the fungi, mm-hmm. all of the – and the bacteria most of all, they all kind of work or fight or play and digest this stuff. They break it down so that we can absorb it. They turn it into fiber, um, dietary fiber. Uh, keeps you from absorbing a lot of sugar or mm-hmm. fats or whatever at once. Um, insoluble fiber bulks your stool up, so mm-hmm. it really kind of gets everything out of the colon, really cleanses it when you finally poop. Yeah. I've missed your hand gestures. <laughs> yeah. I've missed you seeing my hand gestures now that I think about it. Because I do this yeah. like, even when we were recording at home. Oh, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I, I forgot what it's like to be seen. <laughs> You're seen. Uh, yeah. So um, – so the the large intestine has this microbiome that that lives in there, and just just remember that that's a big important point. Yeah, I put a pin in that, but not literally, right? Because that would be dangerous. <laughs> um, out of the three hundred sixty one mammal species, only about fifty of us have an appendix or something like an appendix. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the great apes do, rabbits, possums, wombats. Weirdly, sure, uh, they no, have square poop. Do they really? Yeah, it comes out in cubes. Really? Yes. I can't tell if you're messing with me right now. Wait, hold on. Keep talking. You're, th- you're thinking of the square watermelons in Japan. I may be thinking of wallabies. <laughs> I'm pretty sure wombats have square poop. All right, a rare in-show check. But uh, dogs and cats don't have appendix. Uh, cows don't, horses don't, sheep don't. Oh, yeah. Little poop poop cubes. Square, yeah. It looks like those ice cube chocolates. How do they? How does that happen? How do they? Yeah, how does that work? Um I don't have time to read this, but it looks like there's a science alert from January that says wombats are the only animals that poop cubes, and now we know how. Okay. Well, that's a definite short stuff. Okay. We'll do it. Look for that soon. Uh, So back to the vestigial organ aspect. Uh, Charles Darwin is the person who came out and said, hey, I've been looking at these. And by the way, that was named officially by an anatomist named Felipe Verhan Mm -hmm. in 1710. Uh, appendix vermiformis, which means worm-shaped attachment. <laughs> and I think the first appendix removal is in 1735. But Darwin was the one who said, hey, everybody, I've been looking at these herbivores, mm-hmm. and they've got these really big cecums. Yeah, giant cecums. For this, for this reason that Josh just described, future Josh. Right. And he said, so here's the deal is – when we used to eat a bunch of plants, we had humongous cecums as well. Yeah. And as our diet changed and we got away from plants, 
you know, our body started to change along with it, and that cecum just kind of shrank. And the appendix is just a little shriveled up piece of that formerly large cecum. Yeah. And it's just dangling there, doing nothing. Isn't that amazing? And everyone, until 2007, said, it sounds right to me. (laughs) Darwin's got it right. It does. I mean, it it totally makes sense and seems completely believable. Yes, but now that I know he was wrong, I question every single (laughs) thing he ever thought of or said. Yeah, welcome to our world, Darwin. (laughs) (laughs) You you guys messed up that one thing. I just don't know if I can believe anything he said anymore. Right, (laughs) exactly. I mean, we hear that like every week too, don't we? It's fun. So, um, but yeah, it went for we went for well over 150 years of just everyone believing that mm-hmm. the 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 appendix was a totally useless vestigial organ yeah. that had no function whatsoever any longer, and so it was fine if you just took it out, which as we'll see, like people do a lot actually. And it is fine for the most part. Which we're lucky that it's fine, right? But also, I think if if it weren't fine, we would have figured out very quickly, like, oh, wait, this is yeah, yeah. you're not supposed to do that. So the fact that we were able to remove the appendix later on um, without a problem um, just kind of lent to this – or lent support to the idea yeah. that it was a vestigial organ, right? Um, but it turns out it does serve some function. We'll start talking about that, I think, after a break. What do you think, Chuck? That was so smooth. Thank you. So much smoother in person. All right, we're back from our break. Um, who knows what amazing ads you guys just heard, but I'm envious of you because we didn't hear it. We just <laughs> have a moment of silence in between. That's right. Uh, and now we can talk about the microbiome a little more. And if you want to look into our Human Microbiome Project Works show, that was May 13th, 2014. Uh, there are 130 trillion, trillion cells in the body. About 30 trillion of those are human cells with DNA. Mm-hmm. And the rest of those 100 trillion are the microbiome. That is it. Which is amazing. And it's really, there's something about the digestive system that just, frankly, turns us both on a little bit. Yeah. There were these uh, animations. I cannot remember who made them. Um, many, many years ago. Yes. But the the animator just mm-hmm. understood us on a level that even I'm like, I'm like, oh, I didn't know myself Yeah, just like did little that. shorts for yeah. clips of our show. They did uh, one uh, about a four-and-a-half-minute clip from how the digestive system works, yeah. which is worth looking up on YouTube. It's totally. there. I watched it the other day. They are they were just gifted and talented. It's one of my favorite uh, little things that we ever – that someone ever did for us. Yeah, I want to say Nick. Nick sounds right. Okay. I think it was Nick. I hope it's Nick. Nick, please – like write in if you still uh, listen. Nick, Nick moved on. Okay. Well, anyway, they were really great. What Nick's work, and if it wasn't Nick, Nick's new nickname is Nick. That's right. <laughs> okay. So, um, <laughs> yes, the digestive system does get us jazz, and in particular the microbiome, which we wouldn't have a digestive system or at least one that functions because, again, those bacteria help us break down stuff That's that right. we would normally have trouble breaking down, help us form poop, all of that stuff. And there's a it's a symbiotic relationship because in breaking those those things down, like that plant fiber, for instance, mm-hmm. they're eating. They're happy. They're reproducing. But then the byproducts and the stuff that they break open make that stuff bioavailable for us so we can kind of 
get the nutrients and all that stuff from it as well. It's a beautiful relationship. Not all bacteria is good, though. No, there's the bad stuff. And we should point out that most of this bacteria is in that large intestine. Uh, the In the stomach and the small intestine, most of it's killed off by gastric acid. But the bad bacteria is if you eat some bad chicken or if you— Man. Have you ever done that? Yes. Yeah. You know me. I've had all manner of stomach issues over the years. Where did you get your bad chicken? I don't remember. I don't remember specifically, but I know I've had bad food before that made me sick. Yeah. And in my case in Guatemala, if you remember. Oh, yeah, you and Jerry both. Well, it was— Not me. You know, we were even closing our mouth in the shower. We were being so careful. But on that last night, it was the ice from the mixed drinks. I know it. I forgot that ice is made from water. Yeah. And that water was not good for Americans. And I stayed home that night, so I didn't get (laughs) diarrhea. It was worth it, though. Jerry and I had such a good time. I'm so glad. So, yeah, I got bad sick after our Guate trip. Uh, but that's the bad bacteria, and, and that's how it can get into your body. And your body's solution to this, uh, as Jerry can affirm, is is diarrhea. It's your body's way of saying, we're just going to flush you out, uh, human being. Just get rid of everything. Get rid of all the stuff, but that's going to take earth. a lot of the good stuff with it. Right. And that's no good because if you have all the good bacteria or a large amount of good bacteria leaving your body, then that can leave you very vulnerable uh, to nutritional deficiencies and yeah. other bad stuff. Sure, yeah, because, I mean, like a lot of the um, neurotransmitters that make your brain function correctly are produced in your gut from right. the function of the bacteria. Like there's a lot of bad things that can happen if you don't have a balanced microbiome in your gut. Right. So enter Duke University in 2007. Right. I guess someone was staring at a picture of the human body from the inside out right. and locked in on that appendix. They said, oh, no. And they're like, it's just sitting there attached to the cecum. It's got to do something. Right. And they did some studying and testing. And the appendix went. <laughs> <laughs> I know, exactly. You like me. Uh, and they figured out uh, this theory that this is a safe house, essentially, for that good bacteria. It's mm-hmm. got a really rich uh, biofilm, which is we've talked about biofilm in a bunch of episodes, I feel like. Yeah. It's like coating on the inside of the linings of all kinds of things. Yeah, it keeps bacteria from being destroyed. It's like a protective mucus covering. Yeah, Yeah. exactly, which is, you know, that sounds gross, but it's really a good thing. And the appendix is just lousy with this great biofilm. Mm -hmm. And they said, I think, we think, the Duke University Blue Devils think Mm -hmm. that this is a safe house for that good bacteria because when the body's being flushed out with diarrhea from an illness, right. the appendix is down there at the end of the cul-de-sac. It's not even getting affected, basically. Right. And so when that bacteria leaves and takes the good with it, the appendix says, hi, <laughs> I'm here. Look at all my good bacteria friends. Yeah. Go forth and do your work. Exactly. It goes bloop and pushes all That's like right. a big hunk of mucusy bacteria or bacteria-ridden mucus into your large intestine to recolonize. Which is amazing. And, and all of a sudden— the science world was turned upside down yeah. because they thought they, and it turns out, they did find a use for the appendix. Yeah. Um, and not only uh, is it a storehouse they found for bacteria, the good bacteria that make up our microbiome, it's also a place where um, lymphocytes and other immune cells are produced. Like it's called lymphoid tissue where like T cells, B cells, uh, I think there's one called T natural killer cells. <laughs> That's great. Which you don't want to mess with. That's the iced tea. Yeah. 
or um, the uh, uh, Woody Harrelson and Julia Juliet Lewis yeah. of immune cells. Um, they're produced in the appendix, right? Right. Um, so when the recolonization process is going on, you could still have bad bugs in there, but to prevent them from taking hold, those immune cells come in and just wipe them out while the good stuff comes back in and recolonizes. So Amazing. the appendix is a really, apparently a very useful organ. It has a use after all. Yeah, but you can still live without it. That's what? the weird thing. Why? Why? If it produces this really important function, why would we still be able to live without it? I don't know. Oh, well, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> well, no, what I didn't see anywhere was like if you have – if you live, you know, in an adverse way because you don't have your appendix. Like does that make you more susceptible to certain things if you have that foodborne illness or – Right. Okay. So here's the other thing. Um the there was more support from the fact that you can have your appendix removed. Right. So there's more support for the idea that the appendix plays a role mm-hmm. um, and isn't vestigial from the fact, weirdly, that if you remove it, at least in the developed world, you're you're still going to be okay without it. Okay. It makes no sense. It's a paradox. But then when they looked into the paradox, they're like, actually, this does make sense because of that hygiene hypothesis that you mentioned earlier. Should we dive into that? Sure. All right. Uh, well, hygiene hypothesis in a nutshell, and I, I recommend you listen to that episode because it was really good, mm-hmm. but is sort of – it goes a little something like this. What? <laughs> and <laughs> uh, In developing uh, – or I'm, I'm sorry. In the developed world, mm-hmm. our immune systems can be overactive and that's why we have things like allerg- allergies, especially foodborne allergies, right. to like peanuts and shrimp that's sitting here in front of us, thawing out slowly. Can't wait. Uh, because our immune system really wants to do something. Yeah. It is not good at Netflix and chill. Yeah. It likes to really be active. And if you got clean water and really good fresh food and you know your body doesn't have to worry about that kind of stuff, uh-huh. it starts to attack your body in other ways just because it wants something to do. Right. It's like one of those people at work who, like, you know, breaks something and then fixes it just to show they're working. <laughs> do people do that? <laughs> There's got to be some people out there. Okay. Weirdos. You mean, like, nudge a vase off their desk or what? <laughs> right. At the at the vase putting back together plant. <laughs> okay. But there haven't been any breaks for a while. Well, so I'm just yeah, trying to see how that would happen at our office. Like, how does somebody break a podcast? Uh, You could break an RSS feed or something like that. Or, or maybe an IT person who, like, screws up the system so everyone's like, you got to help us fix it. Right. Kind of like that. What about this? What about somebody who organizes things when they're already a certain way, but they, they just have too much idle time, so they organize stuff, and all of a sudden there's a problem? Okay. That's kind of what I'm talking about. <laughs> right. So um, with the hygiene hypothesis, the idea as far as it relates to the appendix is that because we live in this very sanitary version of the world mm-hmm. where we don't get hookworm because we don't wear bare feet and poop outside. Yeah. Um, our drinking water is clean. We don't have, like, giardia in it typically. Right. Um, because we're not exposed to this stuff, our immune system is on high alert. Mm-hmm. So it attacks not just peanuts but also potentially the appendix mm-hmm. too. Because it's just sitting there. It is just sitting there. But also remember it's a storehouse of bacteria. Right. It's also a uh, storehouse of um, the lymph system. So it's producing immune cells. Mm-hmm. And apparently if you're a kid – 
and you get appendicitis, which we'll talk about in a minute, all that whole thing, Mm -hmm. the number one cause of that is overproduction of lymph cells. So it's possible that your immune system says, uh, this this part of the body is producing a lot of weird immune cells or way more than it should. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of bacteria here I hadn't noticed before. Mm-hmm. Let's go attack it. That your immune system attacks your appendix and causes inflammation, and then that creates the appendicitis that can be dangerous later. That sounds very weird. Why would anybody say that? Well, Chuck, mm-hmm. turns out that there's a paradox <laughs> that goes hand-in-hand hand with developing countries, huh? Well, yeah, I mean, they've seen this kind of proven out in developing countries is as they become more developed and more industrialized, mm-hmm. their rate of appendicitis has gone way up. Yeah. And their body previous to that uh, industrialization is maybe getting water that's not great for them right. or food that might carry some sort of foodborne illness. Mm-hmm. So their immune system is like, we're, we're, we love this person in this culture yeah, because we're always busy flushing this system out with, with diarrhea mm-hmm. and we're just hard at work and we don't have time to to create some fake peanut allergy <laughs> right. or to go after the appendix is not sitting around doing anything. Right. So they're, it's just – it's busy and they've seen as they become more industrialized, uh, appendicitis have gone up and mm-hmm. sort of lockstep with that. Yeah, it happened in the United States and Europe in the beginning of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. There was a big spike. Like before that, there was no such thing as appendicitis basically. Right. Um, there was, but it was very, very rare. Yeah. And then huge, an enormous spike, and then it plateaus and stabilizes. I think in both Western and Eastern Europe and the U.S., we're hovered around 100 cases per 100,000 people yeah. of, of, of appendicitis these days. Um over in, like, I think, uh, South Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, around that time, no appendicitis. Later in the 20th century, early 21st century, as their development just went through the roof, huge cases, uh, a huge increase of appendicitis. Yeah. Um, and there, you can just kind of follow it around the world. As development comes, appendicitis goes up. And they think that it's this hygiene hypothesis right. that explains it. I love it. So you've got the safe house theory that the appendix actually does have a purpose and a role. Yeah. And then you have the hygiene hypothesis that explains um, why appendicitis is a thing in developed countries. Well, should we take a break and – Dig into appendicitis? I think we should. It's going to be awfully painful and gross. I'll bet the ads everyone heard were just astounding. So we've been dancing around the appendicitis kind of this whole episode. It was uh, identified for the first time in 1886 by uh, Reginald Fitz. Mm -hmm. And before that, they just said, you know, if you've got an abdominal illness and you die because of it, it's, you know, it's just you had a bad stomachache that killed you. Sorry. Yeah. Too Uh, bad. So sad. Dave uh, wrote one of my favorite lines in the History of Stuff You Should Know articles. (laughs) He said, Fitz was the first to finger the appendix. (laughs) Is <laughs> the culprit. I was like, man, finger the appendix. That's a that's a spinal tap record. That's gross. But you actually probably could finger the appendix because it is like a <laughs> it's like a little pouch. Yeah, yeah. Just, like, just think about it. finger sized. <laughs> yeah, you could fit your whole forearm into uh, <laughs> Safranco August's appendix. Oh man, mm-hmm. a ten incher. So uh, appendix, everyone. Right, the appendix. Everybody, grow up. Calm down. Calm down. Um, 
So the appendicitis happens because basically I mentioned it was a cul-de-sac. It's a it's an end-of-the-road situation yeah. once you get to the far end of the appendix. But that other end that connects to the cecum is very narrow, and the opening is not that big. Mm-hmm. And it can get clogged up with bacteria. It can get clogged up with certain kinds of seeds sure. that go through your body undigested. Hay seeds? Hay seeds, sure. It can get – this is really gross, but it can get clogged with fecaliths which are stone-like pieces of petrified feces. <laughs> My friend, I saw that that is the number one reason really? for appendicitis in adults. Is fecaliths? Yeah. Uh, it's a hard word to say, but they, you know, that's what happened. The opening blocks, bacteria builds up, mm-hmm. it gets inflamed, mm-hmm. and inflammation is the sort of enemy of all the human body. Right. And you start to get fever and nausea. You got pain. You might get a, a pain in your... Uh, sort of lower right side of your gut. Yeah, because that's where your appendix is. Like if you make a, a L shape with your thumb and forefinger. Like the loser? Put, exactly. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to say it, but okay. okay. Sure. We're going to get some email about that. <laughs> um, the If you take the thumb and put it in your navel and point your yes. finger to your hip, okay, that is like in the little um, V is where your appendix is. Oh, okay. Where your thumb and, uh, yeah, the little webbing. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, if you get a pain there mm-hmm. and you are nauseous and you might have a fever, then get thee to a hospital emergency room because you might have advanced appendicitis at that point. Yeah, it can be a problem. You might have an appendectomy quick-like. Mm-hmm. They can do them super fast. Um, if you get it really, really early, they might can cure it with just antibiotics, which is great. Uh, but I think 1887, the very year... After uh, Fitz identified the disease in 1886 is when they had their first appendectomy. Yeah. Which means they had been happening the whole time. They finally just said, oh, wait a minute. I think it's the appendix is why all these people are dying from the the stomach pains. Right. So maybe we can start removing this little useless dangle. Yeah, I think it was a guy named Thomas Morton, maybe? Yeah, Thomas Morton was the surgeon who looks like he lost his brother and son. Yeah. Uh, It was from mysterious stomach ailments, but it was probably— ruptured appendixes. And that's what happens. It ruptures and then leaks bad stuff into your intestines and your your toast. Yeah, so so when the appendix is infected and it leaks that stuff, it perforates is what they call burst is another way to put it, yeah. depending, I think, on how bad it is. All the infected pus, if there's fecalists in there, the, the whatever bacteria they have with them, yeah. um, all that stuff Gets, or that watermelon gets, seed. It spills, right. Yeah. It spills into your abdomen, and your abdomen has a inner has an abdominal wall, mm. and it has an inner coating called the peritoneum. And the peritoneum um, is not to be infected with anything. It's mm. very delicate. It doesn't like gross stuff. No, no. Keep all that in the appendix and the intestines and all that. Yeah, large intestine. But when your appendix bursts and releases all that stuff, it gets your peritoneum infected. And your peritoneum is like a highway straight to your blood vessels, straight into your organs. And so all of a sudden, your infection goes from your appendix, which you can deal with, Mm -hmm. to uh, your peritoneum being infected, which means your blood. And then your organs are infected, which means you can go into shock and you have a cascading system failure. That's why it's such an emergency when you when you have like appendicitis because it may rupture and that can be problematic. Yeah, and you can still die from that. I think the surgery itself in 1925, the mortality rate from an appendectomy was 14 percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's down to point 
Well, it's one-tenth of one percent, whatever that is. That's pretty low. And that was since the mid-50s. But that's the, that's the mortality rate for the appendectomy, right? The surgery. The surgery, yeah. Uh, for appendicitis, I think overall, maybe worldwide, it's um, I think 0.2 to 0.8 percent, which means yeah. two, two, between two and eight of every um, – two and eight people – who get appendicitis out of every thousand people who get appendicitis? There's got to be an easier way to say this. Uh, they die from it. They they Which buy the farm. Not many, but that's significant. If you're you know eight people out of a thousand, that's not for sure. I wanted that to be point eight, and I think the mortality rate is lowest in young people. Obviously, uh, although young people between ten and thirty are the most likely to have an appendectomy. I think right. Yes. Which is interesting. It's weird. Um, the reason that it's lowest in very young people is the the common knowledge among um, doctors and in the medical field is that the appendix has played a role for a long time, but it's just it, it part of your immune system when you're very young. I have the impression that that is old school thinking that is pre-bacteria uh, safe house thinking. What, that young kids don't get it because they just have killer immune systems? Yeah, and that the appendix is just on fire and it's just happily working and that it can become problematic after it stops providing its its function. Okay. The idea is that the younger you are, the more vulnerable you are to dying from diarrheal (laughs) diseases or infections. And so you would have a healthier immune system. And kids do have like just this hopped up immune system. But I think the medical understanding up until recently is that the the appendix plays a part of that, right? Gotcha. But that it stops functioning right. as you get older and then you're vulnerable to appendicitis. And then after you make it out of the danger zone, you can just basically coast and get fecal lifts all day long blocking up your appendix and it doesn't matter. The new thinking is that, no, it's the storehouse for stuff. Mm-hmm. We just don't need it anymore because we don't really get diarrheal infections here in the developed world. Right. Right? Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. But appendicitis is a thing, and if you do go to – if you do have symptoms that seems weird, uh, generalized pain around your navel or where your appendix is, you should go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is this new idea that the appendix actually does serve a function um, has, has at least in some quarters created this call for – doctors to stop doing what are called negative appendectomies, where it's like, oh, you got stomach pain, let's take your appendix out. And just see if that fixes it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because supposedly a non-perforated appendix may actually resolve itself. Right. Like it may go and like spit that seed out and like go back to normal or whatever, (laughs) right? Um, And you don't want to just lose your appendix willy-nilly. For for one, you're undergoing surgery. There's always complications in risk of surgery. The point is, though— don't just stay home. The, the, right. these, this one paper I read was like, you're better off for the physician to wait and see in the hospital, keep you right. in the hospital under observation yes. so that if you do need emergency surgery, you're there. Yeah. Um, and that it may resolve itself on its own if it hasn't perforated already. Or um, – and that, that's, that's preferable to just removing the right. a, a appendix, a, ne- to the a negative appendectomy. Don't be like – I can still play my street hockey game later, right? Yeah. I think they were saying, like, it's not up to you, the patient. Right. Like, just go to the hospital. I'm talking to the doctors right now. The yeah, paper yeah. was saying. Of course. You know, don't remove the appendix if it if it doesn't need removing. Are we at Harry Houdini? I think so. Yeah. So this is a little addendum. Uh, I kind of think we Oh, might- it's like an appendix. <laughs> I kind of think we should do uh, 
Harry Houdini episode at some point. You bet. Don't you think? Yeah. Should we talk about this now at all? I think we should do Houdini around Halloweeny. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. I tried to think of something to rhyme with weenie <laughs> as Houdini. an approval. No, as like a thumbs up, like Magnafini. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that was, um, yeah, that was good. All right. I'm going to stop it right there by using good. Well, <laughs> People really don't know that I just left the room for like 15 minutes trying to think of something and came back <laughs> with the magic of editing. Jerry didn't do like the star wipes out. No. Uh, so there have been a few people who have died from uh, a, a ruptured appendix. Uh, they believe that Brigham Young, the Mormon prophet, did. Mm-hmm. Um, Charles Floyd, the only person in the Lewis and Clark journey expedition to die. I didn't remember that. Did you? I think I remember just mentioning <gasps> I do remember. that one person died. Yeah, yeah. And we were like, what was his problem? Why did he screw everything up? And it was his appendix. So Harry Houdini did die of uh, an appendicitis. And I don't even think we even said uh, perionitis. Yeah, we did. Did we say that was the that's actual the, word? That's the, oh, I don't know. But that's the infection of the peritoneum. Yeah, that's the name of it, though. Yeah, and that's what you, you like, you don't die from your appendix bursting. Right. Because, again, like, yeah, it provides a function, but it's not, it doesn't keep you alive. It's not like your heart bursting. Right. right. It's it's the, perit- <laughs> the peritoneum getting infected right. that kills you. So Houdini did die of that, but, you know, the old story is that he had come off stage, he was backstage in his green room, mm-hmm. and uh, presumably having smart food and beef jerky, if you're uh, at a Stuff You Should Know show. Spilling club soda <laughs> everywhere from opening the bottle. Oh, man, I can't wait to do that again. Yeah. Uh, but I can't wait, because not doing that anytime soon still. I don't but want to get on a plane yet. No, not quite yet, but we're looking forward to that, for yeah. sure. Uh, but, well, you know, there were these college students who came backstage, and one of them was like, I heard that anyone can punch you in the stomach and that you uh, you can make your stomach strong and it won't even hurt you. And I'm a pretty good stomach puncher. Mm-hmm. He goes, well, that is sort of – and the guy punches him before he even has a chance to really prepare and say, sure, bring it. Right. And uh, that's called a sucker punch. A sucker punch. He was, and, it, and that burst his appendix, and that's how he died. And that story is just a little – blurry around the edges is how that went down exactly, right? Yeah, so there there were eyewitnesses, and they did say that this guy um, did punch Houdini. It's conflicting whether or not Houdini gave the guy permission to punch him or not, or if the guy just started punching. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was a young man named uh, Jocelyn Gordon Whitehead. Whitehead. Houdini's last words were, done in by... Guy named Jocelyn. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. One account was that he was still laying on the couch and the and the guy started wailing on his stomach. Well, yeah, because he he had injured his uh, ankle the um, the the I think night before, a couple days before. So he was reclining on the couch. I guess somebody was sketching him. It was basically like that scene in Titanic. <clears throat> oh, really? Yeah, where he's like, draw me like one of your French girls, <laughs> and um, and the guy started drawing him uh-huh. right. Uh, and then the guy punches him while he's down. That happened. Uh-huh. Uh, the question, the thing that's 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 sketchy, is whether or not that guy punched Houdini in the appendix and uh, Houdini's appendix ruptured, right. where it otherwise wouldn't have. They think that that happens very, very rarely. Just appendicitis a, a brought on by blunt trauma. Yeah. Um, they think that he probably had appendicitis already. This guy punched Harry Houdini in his inflamed appendix yeah. and that that created problems. So the guy definitely killed Houdini one way or the other. It's just yeah. 
did Houdini already have appendicitis or not? Right. And he probably did. Most most scholars say yes. There's just no way this this little guy from McGill University. I mean, come on, the Canadian Harvard. Give me a break, Jocelyn. Yeah, <laughs> um, that that he he burst Houdini's appendix. Yeah, I was I had a weird brief Houdini obsession when I was a little kid. Oh yeah, I think I did a you know a, some sort of visual report. You know, when you would just do a – not even – maybe it was a book report. An interpretive dance? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's what it was. But, yeah, it was on Houdini, <laughs> and I was just – for a little while, I just was really Houdini-obsessed and then kind of magic-obsessed. Oh, yeah. And then Did that you have one passed. of those kits? I had a magic phase. Did you have a kit? I, I may have had a kit. Did you go to, like, the trick shops, the magic shops? Yeah, there was one called Eddie's Trick Shop here in, in uh, Stone Mountain that I went to. That's awesome. You those some, places were great. A deck of fake cards or some nice fake yeah. vomit or yeah. poo. yeah. yeah. And you always looked up to the person behind the counter, and then you grew up, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, <laughs> that's who you used to work there kind of thing. Yeah, it was the magic shop and then the place that sold or sold uh, old Mad magazines. Those were the two greatest places on the planet yeah. when you're a certain age, you know? Yeah. Uh, you got anything else about appendix, appendicitis, Houdini? Uh-uh. Nothing? No, this is good. I quite enjoyed this experience, everyone. I did, too. Thanks to you guys for listening. And uh, since we don't have anything else about the appendix, that means it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this great idea from a 10-year-old listener. And this one, this one is genuinely going in the to-do file. Okay. Uh, dear, and this is short and sweet, dear Chuck Bryant and Josh Clark. Hi, my name is Jack, and I'm 10 years old and from... Hiawatha, Iowa, and I listen to your podcast while I mow. My dad introduced me to your podcast, and they've been great. Uh, my favorite one so far was probably Titanic. It's really interesting. Before I listened to that one, I wasn't really interested in the Titanic, but when I listened, I got more interested. I was wondering if you ever thought doing one on child labor. It was after he mowed the grass. So, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, I learned about it in school and want to know more about it. Thank you for all your great podcasts. Uh, and that is from Jack. And that is as on-brand a Stuff You Should Know episode <laughs> as I've ever heard. Yeah, but also coming from a child laborer, it really kind of has a certain, like, glow to it, you know? Yeah, I think uh, that's a great idea. I wonder if this kid is just like, I'm going to get my parents back for this. Maybe. Because do you remember wanting to mow the grass when you were 10? Totally. And then you started to, and about the third or fourth time, you're like, I've made a terrible mistake. Well, it all depend that, but it also depended on the kind of mower that your parents stuck you with. Yeah, we did have a rider for a short time, so oh, I was like, wow. that was kind of pre go kart car sure, driving. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like driving. Yeah, but with a, a blade spinning at thousands of RPMs <laughs> right beneath you. Exactly. Yeah. Sure, just put that nine year old in the seat. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, who is that again? That was Jack. Jack, thank you. Great name. Great idea. Great person all yeah, around. Coming soon. Like you can you can count on that one, Jack. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us like Jack did uh, with the great idea, we are always open for those. Take your idea, wrap it up, spank it lightly on the bottom, and send it off to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.